0: Now, Father, I pray, pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord, that your word may be spoken this morning and your word alone received. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we have a a pop quiz to begin this morning. I figured it's Lent. You know, we're already groveling and beating ourselves and using dust and ashes, so let's have a test. A pop quiz. It's one question, it's multiple choice. I'll give you your choices in a second. The question is, what is the essence of Christianity? What is its central truth? What's the key idea of the Christian faith? And I've got five choices. Number one, love the Lord Jesus with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself number two do unto others as you'd have them do unto you number three turn the other cheek if attacked respond in love repay evil with good number four self-sacrificial service that's the core serve others as jesus served take care of the needy seek justice for all respect the dignity of every human being they all sound familiar don't they And then there's number five, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the quiz. That's five choices. Anybody want to sound off? Somebody did it at eight. Just to shame you. Somebody said, all of the above. I said, well, that's safe. But I'm really asking for one. What's the central core? Number one. Hmm. Ah, now we got it. Okay. Uh, I would say to you that the first four standing alone are popular answers today in the modern church, the Western church, because they all uh, have something to do with doing. In the modern church today, that the message of Christianity, at the core of it seems to be about serving those who are less fortunate. Loving God by loving others. Love defined as accepting others as they are and doing for them. Tolerance and inclusi- inclusivity are the highest values. And we live in an age, I think you live in the same age, I'm probably in a different age, but at any rate, um, we live in an age where propositional truth is suspect. Truth claims are often seen as narrow-minded, bigoted, hateful, and arrogant. And so Christianity in the broader church has morphed into love in action. Not a truth claim, not an assertion about the meaning of life, but a way of living, to be kind, to serve others, to be accepting. And to always remember that my truth may not be true for you. Few, I think, in the modern church today would pick number five. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God as the essential core, the heart of the Christian faith. And yet, it is precisely what Jesus says to this good Jew, Nicodemus, when Nicodemus comes to him seeking. Jesus at this point in John's gospel has created a huge controversy he's already turned the water into wine at the wedding of Canaan of Galilee by the way as a sidelight you might like to know that it's somewhere between 30 and 60 gallons of wine that he produced that day Jesus likes a party but at any rate word had gone around about this and he's gone to Jerusalem for the Passover he's done many miracles at the Passover feast and many John tells us believed in him because of the signs. And then he drove the money changers out of the temple, got a court of whips, and drove them out saying, how dare you turn my father's house into a den of robbers or into a a marketplace. And the Jewish leaders confronted him about that. They challenged his authority, and his response was, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. That's an inflammatory sentence. He's talking about his body, but they think he's talking about the great edifice of the temple. They're they're incensed. Their tensions are high in Jerusalem. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus is a ruler. This is the story of Nick at night, by the way. Um, Okay, sorry. Nicodemus. He's a ruler among the Pharisees. He's a big shot. He's on the Sanhedrin. He's in the ruling council. He's, he's part of the religious establishment. He comes to see Jesus. He comes at night. He's drawn to Jesus. He's heard about the miracles. Maybe he's seen them. And he knows God's with Jesus, but he's not going to risk being seen with him. Uh, Because for two reasons, I think. One, uh, Nicodemus doesn't want his reputation ruined, and he also doesn't want to give Jesus the credibility that you'd have if if the Pharisee comes to your house, the the leader of the Jews. Nicodemus starts with uh, flattery, and he doesn't even get a question out of his mouth, right? And Jesus answers him. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What was the question? Well, Jesus knows the heart, right? He knew Nicodemus' heart. And, and besides that, he knew the question. He knew the question on Nicodemus' heart. That is the question. I want to suggest to you that the question Nicodemus came with was the question of all human life, the central question of human existence. What's the meaning of this life? It's a question that hangs over all of us, that we all need to grapple with at some point in life. As a thinking human being, what's it all about? You know, the old movie, what's it all about, Alfie? What does this mean? Is there an eternal plan, a purpose for life? Is this life part of something bigger? Or is it, you know, 70, 80, 90 years and you're out? Is that it? What's it all about? And Jesus doesn't mess around. He knows the question on Nicodemus's heart, and he answers it, giving the heart, I would suggest, to my thesis this morning, the central core of the Christian faith. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now think about what's in that one short sentence. Yes, there is an eternity. It's called the kingdom of God. God's eternal. His kingdom is eternal. Yes, life has a purpose to be in the kingdom, to see the kingdom and be in the kingdom of God. Yes, you can enter it. You can see it, but you're not in it now. You're not in it naturally. You're not born into it. You're a good Jew, Nicodemus, but you're not in the kingdom. It's possible to enter, but you can't do it yourself. It takes a birth, unless you're born again. You can't birth yourself the first time. You can't birth yourself the second time. Now, that's not, I would say, not the full core of the Christian message. It's most of it, but there is something missing, and that's how. How? How, do, how how does this possible? How, and Nick, you see what Nicodemus knows. He knows exactly what Jesus has said to him. Nicodemus, I think, is standing there thinking he read my heart. He, know, he knows what I'm here for, and he's given this answer. I get it. I think he knows exactly what Jesus was saying to him, but but he didn't know how, and so he asks the, right, the perfect next question: How? How is this possible? How can I be born again? What do you mean? How does it work? And Jesus spells it out. The the, The rest of the passage is Jesus answering the question. It's a little bit cryptic, but basically it's pretty straightforward. It's a spiritual birth, not a physical birth. It's by water and the Holy Spirit, and this is how it happens. I will be lifted up. We know what that means, crucified. I will be lifted up that all who believe in me may have eternal life. Has Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness? You remember that's in, in Numbers chapter 21. Uh, there was, the Israelites were being bitten and killed by snakes, poisonous snakes in the desert, and uh, Moses put a snake up on a pole, which I would suggest had a crossbar because you can't get a snake on a stick very well. So he raises a cross with a snake on it, And all who are bitten, as in already bitten with sin, look to the snake, believe, and are healed. And Jesus says, as Moses did that, so I will be lifted up on a cross for this purpose. God so loved the world that he gave me his son for that purpose that all who would believe in me would not perish but have eternal life. I didn't come to condemn the world. I've come that the world might be saved. By believing. So, I think as a piece, we have the essence, the central core of Christianity. It's not a religion of good works or social justice or a moral code or even a way of living. Those are all good things, and they're, they, they flow out of the central core of Christianity, but they're not the central core. Christianity says, unless you are born again, By faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot have eternal life. There is an eternity. It's with God. As human beings, we're not in it. We can't enter it on our own. We're born in sin. That excludes us. And so we have to be born again, which we cannot accomplish ourselves. It comes when we believe in Jesus. That's Paul's point in the epistle this morning. We're saved, given eternal life, the central... center of the Christian faith counted as righteous by faith, by believing and not by good works good works are good they're called good, right? they're good works, it's a good thing for us to do it's just not the core it's secondary it's supposed to flow out of our relationship with Jesus Christ that we help others it's like to say that they're the core is to say oh you know what, I joined the Peace Corps why? because I wanted to see the world I joined the Peace Corps because I like to travel. No, the travel's secondary. You've got a purpose. You're being sent out to do something. Same with Christianity. Good works are a byproduct. Eternity's coming, and we can be in it or not in it. We get in by believing in Jesus, feeding the hungry. These things are good, but they leave the hungry dead for eternity. Feed them Jesus, and they'll live forever. All right, so that was the pop quiz, right? I assume we all passed. We've heard it before. You know, that's the preacher's job, I think, is to give the gospel every Sunday. I'm sorry if it's boring. Most of us need to have it repeated, me included. Okay, so you should recognize from what I've said so far that when you hear born-again Christian said in a derogatory way, oh, he's one of those born-again Christians, and then they roll their eyes, that's actually wrong because the phrase is just redundant born-again is Christian, Christian is born-again, that's what Jesus is saying there are no not-born-again Christians okay it's just, that's just the way Jesus spells it out If you're born again, you are a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're born again. Okay, so if that's the core, and I suggest that it is, it's critically important that we know what it means to believe in Jesus. That's the hinge. That's the, that's the doorway to eternity. That's the way to life itself is to believe. So what, do we, what, do we, what does it mean? What does it mean to believe in him? And we don't have to wonder about it. Jesus, God spells it out in Scripture over and over and over again, what he means by believing, and we have it today in the story of Abram called by God, the father of all who believe because he set an example here in Genesis of what believing in God looks like. God reckons the kind of belief that God reckons to us as righteousness. So that's our Old Testament lesson. God is calling Abram, he's calling him not to make a decision giving assent to a set of facts, he's calling him to leave, to leave everything he knows leave his, his family, his people, his country, his high position, his local gods, and go to a new land in which he doesn't, he doesn't even know where it is, where he has nothing, a land God promises to give him and his heirs someday, a land which is occupied by other people, other nations, and God promises to be with him and bless him and use him and his offspring to bless the world. Uh, who would take a deal like that? I mean, go, leave everything you know, leave Sullivan's, leave Mount Pleasant and go to, uh, I don't know, Central Africa because God has got something for you there to do and he's going to give you that land. And uh, Really? But Abraham went. He went and he didn't even know where he was going. He just went and he had God to direct him to the right place. He went. He left his old life and called him into, took the new life that God called him into that's believing that's believing you know the old you've seen the old uh, illustration there's a chair over there I believe the chair will hold me that's not it go sit in the chair that's believing okay so God spells it out here Abraham goes goes believing God is is to believe what he says Jesus said if you love me, you will keep my commandments, you will do what I say. It's to hear him and to trust his call and his promises and to follow where he calls us to go, to throw ourselves on his mercy. And of course, it's, it's, it's not a one-shot deal. It starts with a decision. We've talked about this before. It starts with a commitment of, of our lives to Christ. But then there's this growth process where we grow in trust. We grow in our ability to trust him and to obey. Fifteen years after this, this account of Abraham, he and his wife Sarai still don't have a child. It's, they're in their 90s or close to it. They're way past childbearing, and God says to them again that they'll have a child. And they believed. They trusted it. And they have, a boy, they have a son. Isaac, the child of the promise. A picture of believing. Trusting God to do what he says and to obey what he asks us to do. So, I want to leave you with an encouragement. It's a season of Lent, not just time for uh, self-flagellation and, and, uh, and uh, self-denial, and not just a time for pop quizzes, but a time where we can uh, seek to grow in our trust, in our love of God, and our trust in his word. Trust is like faith, in that it's a habit that we have to develop. It's like a muscle that we get stronger with exercise. And so I um, ask you to do one thing. Uh, you only should this morning is prayer. Prayer. We, we can't birth ourselves, and frankly, we can't mature ourselves either. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Our job is to pray to decide to be open to decide to open our hearts and let him do his work in here that will change us and so that's what I'm asking for, for Lent for myself and for us all that we can by the grace of God ask him to help us to open our hearts to grow our faith to grow our trust that we might grow into the kind of people that he's calling us to become pray with me please Lord God, I thank you for your word, for your encouragement, for the fact that we are saved by faith, not by works. I ask you to write on our hearts and pour out your spirit, Lord, that we might know you better and trust you more. In Christ's name, amen.